Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. And we're kicking off a new series this week, and this will be the last series for 2021. Hard to believe we're coming to the end of this thing. And uh, there's snow outside. You guys see that this morning? Two years ago, I think we had like four or five inches on the ground. Anybody not like snow? Oh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm in the same boat. I like to go sled riding and ride things in the snow, but I'm not a big fan of salt and getting it all over the place and those sorts of things. But, man, I think two years ago we had four or five inches on the ground, and so uh, seasons are changing. So, um, all right, we're going to go ahead and kick off this new series called Extravagant. And I'm just going to go ahead and be quite frank with you this morning as we introduce this series that we're going to be talking about generosity between now and the end of the year. And uh, we're going to talk about topics like money. Say money. money. Yeah, money. We're going to talk about money in church. You know, we, we, and don't get nervous about that. You know, um, <clears throat> you know when I talk about things like um, adultery, the only people that get nervous about that subject are those that are living in adultery. I mean, I know that's a tough subject, right? <laughs> Somebody's like, wow, man, thanks for coming. Uh, but... <laughs> The people that get nervous about money, and I don't have a hang-up with money. I don't love money. Money's just a tool, right? Money's just a tool. Money's just something whether, you know, you can use it to bless somebody or you can use it to sell drugs, whichever one you want to do. But it's, it's just, just a tool, all right? And so, um, and most of the time, people that get nervous about money are the stingiest people, right? So we're starting this series off good. Are you guys here with me this morning? But uh, this, this, and we're going to talk about money, but we're also going to talk about like uh, one week I'm going to do a, a message called Why I Tithe. Not, not why we should, but why do I personally tithe? I just really felt like in my heart of hearts. And listen, it's not, about, it's not about the church needing your money. It's about God opening the windows of heaven over your life so you can be a blessing. That's the ultimate goal of generosity is for you to be a blessing. Um, I was running some numbers this past week, and in a 10-year period, you guys are so great, gracious and faithful, and over 10 years, there's been over $3 million given to Real Life Church in 10 years. Come on, somebody. That's a big deal right there. Now, here's, what really, here's what's really cool about that is 13% of that in 10, 10 years has went to missions or outreach. It went out the door, so 13% went out the door. Come on, somebody. That's over the tithe. That's even more, that's even more exciting. Uh, and so I want you to know that God, God is, is, is bringing this uh, uh, revelation to us about, and today's just going to be about the generous God. How many knows he's generous? And sometimes we have to take a step back and realize that it's not about stuff. It's not about the tools he gives us. Yes, those things are important, but it's not the heartbeat or the foundation by which generosity operates. And so I heard this quote, I thought it was funny, by Charles Spurgeon. He says, with some Christians, the last part of their nature that ever gets sanctified is their pockets. I thought that was funny. Here's another one. Martin Luther says it this way. There are three conversions necessary, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. All the guys are like, yes, would you please stay off Amazon? My God, you're spending all the money. Anybody else get random Amazon packages you don't know where they come from? That happens to me. I asked my wife, I said, what's, what's in the am- I ain't got no idea. Well, what do you mean you don't got no idea? You ordered it. She's shaking her head, and that's all I'm going to say today, folks. I love you. Uh, uh, but uh, John chapter 3, verse number 16, is going to be our text for this, uh, past, or for this series. 
And it says this, verse 16 and 17. I'll ring out the, I'm going to read out of the English Standard this version. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Don't let this just be an end zone scripture. Don't just let it be something you see on a sign. Don't just allow this passage to be something that, oh, I've heard this before. Pay attention. He says, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, let me break this verse down just a little bit more. We could say it like this. Let me break it down. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Let me break it down one more, let me break it down one more time for you. For God so loved the world he gave. If we were going to take the, the message of generosity and the extravagance of our God and how generous he is, it would be boiled down to that, those few words, for God so loved the world that he gave. Let me break it down just a little bit further. When you love, you give. Bottom line. Again, this isn't about whether or not you've given an offering at the end of service today. This is about living a life with an extravagant, generous God. That when we love, we give. When we embrace the love of God in our life and we've had an encounter with the love of God, we give. You know, John 3.16, again, reminds us of this, that God, God does not ask us, of anything that he has not first done for us. Let me say that again. It reminds us that God does not ask of us anything that he has not first done for us, that God is the first extravagant giver. He is the first one that, that stepped onto the scene when we were in our sin, and he said, I'm willing to give my son for humanity. I'm willing that I love the world so much that I'm going to give my one and only son, Jesus, to come to the earth to be born of a virgin, to walk the earth as a man for 33 years that would be beatily bru uh, 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 bruised and beaten and crucified. And I'm willing to send my son because when you love, you give. He is the first extravagant giver. Listen, he's the, he's the only one that can pull us up out of our sin. You can't save yourself, folks. You can't earn it. You can't work it out. It takes an extravagant giver to be able to come and take our place on the cross. See, because we were the ones with sin, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means we don't have to clean up before we come to him. It means that while we were still jacked up, look at your neighbor and say, you're still jacked up. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're really jacked up. <laughs> but while we were really messed up, God came and became the first extravagant giver. The gospel of Jesus, or the good news of Jesus, is the greatest expression of generosity ever told. That a, that a God that received nothing, but the Bible says he emptied himself out of heaven. 
He emptied himself out of a status in heaven to take on the status of a man to die for a humanity that humanity then might receive their, his status. That, that he would come to the earth and he would forgive the unforgivable. He would touch the untouchable. He would come and he would deal, heal diseases and he would, he would set us free from uh, uh, mental health issues. He would set us free from depression and anxiety and he would come to the earth and he would be the first extravagant giver. That's the, that's the message of the gospel. Gospel equals extravagant generosity. There's nothing more extravagant than the forgiveness of your sin. No money, no gift. The, the thing that makes it, makes it extravagant is the foundation of forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might through his poverty become rich. See, the gospel of Jesus and the generosity of God is all about Jesus giving up his status and taking on our status so we can have his status. It's the greatest exchange ever with something we couldn't earn, but it is the greatest exchange ever of generosity. If he would give his life, he would become poor that we might become rich. And that doesn't mean materially, that means spiritually. That means that we will not spend eternity in a place called hell, separated from our God. That, that God came and he rescued us and he became the bridge on the cross by which we could become saved and spend eternity in heaven. So when you love, you give. When you love your neighbor, you give. When you love your coworker, you give. When you love your church, you give. When you love your community, you give. Generosity, listen, generosity will begin to happen in us when our hearts trust God's generosity toward us. Generosity will begin to happen in us when our hearts trust God's generosity toward us. I'm going to use the story out of Luke chapter 7. It's a very descriptive story about a woman that came to Jesus. In verse uh, 36, it says this, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Now, if you don't know what a Pharisee is, it's a religious ruler, very law-driven, very throw rocks at you if you sin kind of people. Uh, very religious, snobby kind of behavior. And it says, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, he brought, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Simon invites Jesus over for dinner. We don't know why, but we, all, but we do know that if you read scripture, if you read scripture at all, we don't know why he was there, but we do know Jesus loves free dinners. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Come on. How many want to be like Jesus? He loves free dinners when you read the scripture, and he goes and he sits. He was accused of sitting with the most ungodly type of people. 
And Pharisees were religious rulers, and he would go sit with them. And, and what would happen, and I want to kind of give you the scene of this moment. He's in Simon's house, and the table that they were sitting at was knee-high, and it was surrounded by cushions. And the way they would eat is they wouldn't sit like Indian style to eat. They would actually lay with their arm out like this to prop themselves up. Their feet would go out, and then they would eat that way. They would grab the bread, and they would dip it or whatever they were eating uh, during that time. And that's how they would eat. This was the setting. And it's all men. There's all men. There's 12 men around this table. And in the middle of this table is Jesus. They're having this long theological conversation. It's been a long day. And there they are, they're having this long theological conversation, and Jesus is in the middle of these guys, and all of a sudden, this woman makes her way in quietly. She comes into the room, and all of a sudden, they begin to look at her and wonder why in the world she's here. Like, this is a man's meeting, what are you doing here? And so she begins to, as she, as she walks over to Jesus, it says he, she goes behind him and begins to weep. Now, how many have ever been in a room? where you're in a room with people, and uh, you, everyone's talking, and then all of a sudden, you start crying. I've been there. It's awkward, right? Like you're sitting, why are you laughing? <laughs> yeah, I'm a crier. I cry every once in a while. Um, and so, been in a room where you're just kind of talking, and all of a sudden, you kind of, you know, your lip starts to quiver, and it could be something, I mean, we could be talking about the movie Rudy. Come on, somebody. Every one of you cried at Rudy. If you've seen it, when the seniors come in and say, we're not playing unless Rudy gets to get in the game, and they lay their jerseys down, and I'm going, oh, God, yes, Rudy, Rudy. Awkward moments. I cry at some of the dumbest things. It's just weird. But this was just an awkward moment. They didn't understand why she was there. Then all of a sudden, she lowers her hair. Now, this is a big deal. And all of the room, when she starts to go like this, was like, <gasps> like the, the air was sucked out of the room. Because in the cultural time, that it was forbidden. That literally it was grounds for divorce for a woman to lower her hair in the presence of a man that she wasn't married to. So in this moment, she's breaking all cultural barriers. She's coming into this meeting, this men's meeting, with a bunch of uh, religious guys. And she gets behind Jesus, and, and she starts to weep, and then she starts to take down her hair. And the Pharisees are like, hold on, hold on. My God. This moment with this lady, with this woman, Bible says that she was a certain immoral woman. It doesn't say her name it doesn't say her sin. Now, it's implied that there is a sexual sin involved. But it doesn't say her name, and it doesn't name her sin. Everybody knew it. It said that she was known around the town, this immoral woman. And she has this moment, and I believe Luke was being extremely intentional. He was being intentional in this moment by not telling, her, uh, telling us her name or her sin. And I started to ask myself, why was he so intentional about just naming her a certain immoral woman? Is because he wanted all of us to know that this is us. He didn't name her name. He didn't tell the sin. But what he did, what he's trying to communicate is this applies to all of us. 
He didn't put a name on it, but he said all of us deal with this thing called sin. And so as the, as the story continues, she lowers her hair. She starts to watch Jesus' feet. And then she's got this bottle of perfume. It's ridiculously expensive perfume. Some say it was a year's wage to buy this perfume. Others say that literally it was a part of her inheritance. And she, she begins to pour this perfume on his feet. Now, the hair's down and the perfume's flowing and the Pharisees are all on their, social media is on fire at this moment. They're tweeting, <laughs> they're Instagramming, there's a, a moral woman, and he, she dropped her hair, and she's, and she's uh, I mean, the Pharisees are freaking out in this moment. They hate this moment. They don't like this moment. See, religion doesn't like that vulnerability level of acknowledging sin. And so, they didn't like it, but Jesus was loving it. Jesus was loving this moment. And so she lowers her hair, she starts to wash his feet, and she, she cracks open this, this expensive perfume, she begins to pour it on his feet, and, and this woman, listen, this woman had not planned to be at Simon's house that day. She had not planned about it, she had heard that he was there. Again, she wasn't allowed in church because everyone knew what she had done. Isn't that ridiculous? She, 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 nobody would allow her in church. She wasn't allowed, but she had heard about Jesus. She heard, this is the guy who loves the unlovely. This is the guy who touches the untouchable, and just maybe God, Jesus, has a little bit of love for me also. So she does the most dangerous thing ever. She gets to the house, and the gate is open. She grabs her perfume. She gets to the house, and the gate is open. She contemplates. She's standing outside with her bottle of perfume wondering, should I do this? Should I make my way through the gate and go into this home of a Pharisee, knowing I'm an immoral woman, but there's something I know that if I can touch and get to this place where I can experience this love that I've heard about others experiencing, that how Jesus loves the unlovable, if I could just get close enough and I could bring my best to him, maybe, just maybe, my life could be different. And so there she goes. She goes in. She grabs her perfume. She arrives. She contemplates. Finally, she bursts through the room. She walks into the room around these 12 Pharisees. She walks over to Jesus, and the closer she gets to him, the more she is consumed with how bad of a person she is. As she takes a step closer and closer to him, in her mind, she's going, what have I done? What, what have I done in this moment? All of the bad starts to be rehearsed about who she is, but at the same time, how good Jesus is. So she heard and she's hearing these two, and with every step closer, it's like the sun. As Jesus looks at her, it's as if the sun is radiating toward her. In this moment, she walks in with this cold, icy heart, but with each step closer to the Son of God, the iciness, the hardness begins to melt as she gets closer to the Son of God. There she is, an immoral woman with an icy heart going in. To Jesus, she crumbles at his feet 
because everything she had ever done began to come back to her. Everything that she had ever had done to her starts to come back to her. The the eyes of the Pharisees are piercing her in this moment. There she crumbles at her feet and tears begin to drip from her face as she acknowledges her brokenness. She starts to cry. She can't cover it up anymore. Her sins are ever before her. She begins to cry uncontrollably. Martin Luther calls it heart water. She just keeps weeping. And here's here's the picture of this woman. She's holding her perfume and she's laying. She crumbles at the feet of Jesus. And she's uncontrollably crying, saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she's broken before the Son of God. I wonder, when was the last time you were broken over your sin? I wonder when is the last time you shed a tear in front of a giving God that loves you so much over your disobedience. Here she is in this moment. She crumbles. She begins to cry. She's crying enough, think about this, to wash his feet. This is not a little just drip off the eyeball, down the nose, into the, onto, this is uncontrollable. It's heart water. She's broken. She's repentant. Her sorrow and her love is being poured out on Jesus. She has no towel, so she takes her hair down, and the symbol of her beauty becomes a towel of worship. She takes her hair, and she begins to wash his feet with her tears. The most generous God ever. She's sitting there broken, as an immoral woman wondering what the savior of the world would do. She wipes the dirt off of his feet. She begins to wipe off uh, the, the dirt and as she's wiping off the dirt off of his feet, he begins to wipe the dirt off of her heart. In this vulnerable moment, She worshiped. Her perfume was so extravagant, so costly. It cost her a year's wage. And in honor, she pours it out in love. The room explodes with this fragrance of this costly perfume. As she's washing his feet, her heart is being washed and she won't let go. She pours and she kisses his feet and she pours and she kisses his feet until there is nothing left of her perfume. She did not leave one drop in her perfume bottle. She emptied it all out at the feet of the one in this moment that loved her in a way that would set her free. She left it all there. She left nothing undone. She wouldn't let go. And it's as if every time, every pour of the perfume, there is forgiveness being poured out on her. Simon hated it. He could not stand what was happening in this moment. Look at Luke 7, 39 and 48. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, is this man, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Hold on a second. 
when Jesus starts answering your thoughts, come on, somebody. It's a moment. You're thinking it, and he's like, I got you, buddy. I know what you just said. Come on. I know what you're thinking in that brain of yours. This Pharisee was like, why is he dealing with this woman? She's a sinner. And Jesus, answering her thought, his thoughts, said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. He said, go ahead, teacher, bring it. Simon replied, a man, and then Jesus said, a man loaned money to two people, 500, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom you canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my feet. But she, was washed, she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. Notice what he says. They are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Simon, in this moment, as Simon is, is interacting and asks Jesus to tell the story, I really believe that Simon thought he was a 50 guy. He thought, well, you know, I'm a good guy, I'm holy, I know the scriptures, you know, I do things right, you know, I'm just a 50 guy. But Jesus says this, out of both of them, 50 or 500, who, who sin is canceled? And he said, well, the one of larger. But so, and then he takes that and he says to this woman, he looks at Simon and says, this woman has worshiped me when you didn't. See, you're religious and you've been to church your entire life, but you don't really understand what this means to break before Jesus. We have a generation of people that think if they raise their hand and say a prayer that that's all they need. That's not all you need. We have a generation of people that need to understand that if we're not breaking over our sin and we're not looking into the eyes of a generous God and pouring it all out, we are being deceived. So here she is. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Simon divided people into two camps, the holy people and the unholy people. He, was, he, he thought he was actually a holy person. Religious people can see everyone else's sin but their own. Simon thought he was a holy person and he treated Jesus as common because he didn't think he had been forgiven much. He thought he was just a common man coming over for a meal. But he didn't realize that there's no way, Simon, you can save yourself from your sin. In other words, Jesus was displaying to Simon by ministering to this woman a level of generosity that's never been seen before. He says, this woman's sins were many. Lady, your sins are forgiven. Simon needed to step back in this moment and see the generosity of God. 
Jesus was communicating. Let's learn from this woman. Those who forgive much, love much. I believe we need to take a step back and see that generosity is much bigger than a dollar figure. It's much bigger than money. It's much bigger than material things. It's God's generosity has melted our hearts because we were lost and we were broken and we had that hard heart and, and, and that cold heart. And when we came in contact with the Son of God, He began to melt that stony heart. He began to melt that cold heart and we broke before Him and we experienced generosity at a whole nother level that he would come and say to us your sins were much but you're forgiven I believe this is the greatest foundational lesson we can learn about generosity is when we understand how much we've been forgiven it's no problem to give it's no problem to serve because we understand there's somebody else out there that may just need the same forgiveness that I received. He that is forgiven much loves much. When we step back from our lives and understand when you love, you give. When we, when we step back from our life and realize the forgiveness of God in our lives, I love what this Amy Carmichael said. She says, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Here, let me just end this way with a couple questions. Do you need to take a step back and look at how much you've been forgiven? Have you been in church so long that the thing that bothers you the most is the temperature in the room versus how disobedient you live your life. Are we at a place in the church where we no longer acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a savior, but we would rather have self-help ideas to make us a better person Jesus did not come to make you a better person. He came to destroy your old man and make you a brand new person. <laughs> because he loves much, gave much. Maybe you're in the room today and you need to take a step back and you need to see how much you've been forgiven or maybe you're in the room today and you need to take a step forward. Like this woman towards the extravagance, generosity of a generous God that will take your sin and throw it as far as the east is from the west to bring transformation in your life and to set you free. When was the last time as a church person, as a Christian, that you shed a tear because of your sin? When was the last time you worshiped with tears running down your face? And then not just be a song on a wall, but you raise your hands and you sing, he's my champion. Not because it's good lyrics and it makes sense, but because he's my champion. Because when I raise my hands in worship, it's because I realize that I've been forgiven much. Therefore, I've been loved much and he is my champion. And he set me free and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. 
And so I worship with tears running down my face because worship, worship is the reality of being forgiven. It's the reality of knowing that without Him I'm lost forever. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't pull myself up. I'd have somebody stand in my place, die for me. Who are you this morning? How many of you would say, I need to take a step back and I need to look at my life and realize how much I've been forgiven? Who would acknowledge that this morning? You just raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to take a step back and realize how much, absolutely. If I could get the team to come on out. Maybe you're in this room and you'd say, I need to take a step towards the extravagant generosity of God. I'm like that immoral woman. I need my sins forgiven. Nobody moving around, just hang tight for just a moment. And if you're in this place, just close your eyes for a moment. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I need to take a step towards the extravagant generosity of the love of God. I need my sins forgiven. I need to be set free. If you're in this place, we just raise up your hand this morning. I see your hand. Yes. Who else? Come on, raise them up high. I see your hands. Yeah, I see your hand. I see your hands. Let's all pray this prayer together. This prayer in faith is the beginning process of receiving the love of God. And I'm going to do something this morning that we haven't done lately. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray, but as I pray, I'm going to pray for you. And then here's what, I want to, here's what I want to do. I want those that will say, I want to step back and I want to just take a moment and worship my champion. I'm going to invite you to come forward this morning. And we're going to worship together. And I just want you to have a moment with God and reset your life in the, in the realm of generosity, in, in the realm of receiving and understanding how the forgiveness of God has impacted you. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross raised from the dead, I stand before you today as a sinner in need of a Savior. I acknowledge my sins are many. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to make me a new creature today. I pour my brokenness out on you. I repent today, Lord. Transform me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you say today, come on, there's a few hands that said yes to Jesus. Come on, let's give them a big hand clap today. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.